welcome in to the Cover 5 podcast. We will be finishing out our division series with the AFC South. As always, I am joined by Hilo at HiloFF on Twitter. Hilo, how are you doing today? And who do you want those Green Bay Packers to select? Oh, God, I don't want to talk about it, dude. Because whenever a Packers fan talks about who they want the Packers to draft, they go completely the other way, right? <laughs> That's been the last decade. I mean, you can't. You can't argue against wanting JSN at 13. Like we just, that would fit with like every, or his skill set would be a very natural pair with like Christian Watson. Um, and it would give us a pretty fun offense, actually. When you look at like AJ Dillon out of the backfield as well and, uh, and Aaron Jones. So I don't know. That's who I want. Uh, but yeah, damn glad to be here, dude. Let's talk some defense before we start getting into this very probably defense heavy draft first round. Yeah, so as a as a Panthers fan, I'm hoping it's Bryce Young. I, I, I don't really think I want to go elsewhere. I just think Bryce Young has been the favorite for a little bit now, and that's the guy I want. If it's Anthony Richardson, that would be fun, but I feel like we would have given up too much to go get him. Yeah. But let's kick it off. Let's go to the AFC South, who might be having some of these top quarterbacks. And speaking of, we're going to start with the Indianapolis Colts. They got the Gus Bradley scheme. They retained him after letting go of uh, Jeff Saturday slash Frank Wright. Tell me about Gus Bradley's scheme. Yeah, I mean, Gus Bradley dates back to the time in Seattle with Pete Carroll, the Legion of Boom, all that. That was Gus Bradley. Um, so expect a 4-3 base. He likes to run a lot of cover three hook uh, coverage, which is basically like utilizing the linebackers in primary coverages, which is super unique, requires a lot out of the linebacking unit. But then you look at his depth chart and they, they have kind of the guys that can, that can play that kind of cover and physical style linebacking. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm excited to see the second year of Gus Bradley here. Um, Shaq Leonard in particular, obviously, uh, he and they retained EJ Speed. That was a big retention, I think, from this team. Um, but he and EJ Speed are probably going to be running all over the field in that second level. Um, they have one kind of, not a blemish, but a weak spot in that linebacker core, I would say, in Zaire Franklin. Um, but that's something they could look to address here in this draft. Um, but he did, he had, uh, he's shown promise, but he has not shown consistency. Um, and really just when you're comparing him to the other members in that linebacker core, uh, the clear um, weak spot of that unit. Yeah, and I mean, the good news is, is out of your defense, having your weak side linebacker be kind of the weak point is totally fine because you see a lot of four two five in today's NFL, mm -hmm. and that allows a guy like Kenny Moore to get into the slot, which is his best position. That's where he is probably going to be. But the one player that I'd like to kick it off and kind of hear your thoughts on are Stephon Gilmore. Um, him being a guy that they moved on from to the Cowboys – Obviously, they're not a team kind of built to have like some sort of Super Bowl type of run right now, which is probably why it's best for both to kind of move up forward and move on. I feel like with uh, Stefan Gilmore and the way he played last year, it was super underappreciated, very underrated compared to what um, they had the year before. He played phenomenal even at his age. What do you think that loss is going to do to this secondary? Yeah, and I, you kind of you look at his loss in conjunction with the other losses this offseason. They lost Stephon Gilmore, Bobby Okariki, Brandon, Brandon Fassison, and Yannick Ngakui. And um, it's basically on the back end and then on the defensive line. So 
um, highly, highly important in today's NFL game uh, are those two positions, defensive end and, uh, and the backside. So with that, um, they tried to mask the losses up front with Samson Nebucam um, coming over from San Francisco, but still those are some fairly significant losses in this defense. And yes, we just got done saying that the defensive, the backbone of this defense is really in that second level in the linebacker core, but those are tough positions to lose um, particularly veterans um, that are as savvy as those four guys are. Um, so yeah, we could see, you know, an issue, probably not going to be generating the same amount of pressure that said they're blitzing at only a 16.4 percent rate last year and how this defense is really built is like clog the interior of the field um, and force a team to either try and run off the edge or pass to the perimeter Um, and what that did last year they they were sitting down at a 7.1 defensive a dot allowed so um how is that going to, or I guess, how does that translate into what we expect from this coming season? We're probably going to see a, a unit still that's going to scheme the same way, but we're probably going to see a high completion rate against because of those changes on the defensive end and on the back end. And we're probably going to see a, a, a unit that kind of plays not, not soft, not off, but just coverage that is trying to filter towards the outside that's also probably going to lead to some quick outs, some um, quick slants over the middle of the field. Um, And when you're looking at how we probably are going to be looking to attack this unit, um, teams that have a quarterback that can get the ball out quick, um, timing quarterbacks, quarterbacks or offensive schemes that are looking to kind of um, look to attack in the first five yards of the line of scrimmage and see what they can do with the ball after in their hands. Uh, but yeah, that's a it's a fairly significant loss. The losses that this defense had this year. Yeah, I mean, Stefan Gilmore and Bobby Okriki are two of the better players. I mean, Brandon Fasten wasn't exactly an elite All Pro corner, but he was very formidable. Um, the game that I like to go to to tell you, like, show people how kind of good this defense was, was go watch that game against the Eagles. Mm-hmm. That game was with Jeff Saturday, I believe. Now there. And if you look at the end of the game, Jalen Hurts and company realized they have to attack the perimeter. And mm-hmm. it was Devonta Smith winning in coverage because A.J. Brown was struggling with Stephon Gilmore. And they were yeah. just attacking the outside. And quarterbacks don't like throwing to the perimeter. It's the farthest throws across the field. It's usually one that if you are a little bit late, pick six going the other way. But that's the best. I feel like that's the best way to play right now in today's NFL. But you obviously need to have the four defense linemen. Even with that Legion of Boom, people forget how good that defensive line was. I know the back end and everything going on there was phenomenal. But without the pressure rate that they were getting with Cliff Averill, Bruce Irvin, and some of the other guys that rotated in, they're not the defense that they were. And that was a big reason why they kind of fell off other than uh, some of the payments and the NFL not allowing people to just (laughs) hold people at the line of scrimmage. But I agree. I think this Colts defense is going to be attacked at the receiver position from a fantasy perspective. I think you're looking at a team that if they played uh, Miami Dolphins, I think this is an easy spot to attack like one yeah. particular receiver out wide. Um, Hill and Waddle both kind of got looks there. Another thing is, is like speed at the running back position, because I think you can get on the outside against them and get down the field. 
Um, I think we're both on the same page with that. Like Quiddy Pay is unbelievable when rushing the passer. He's not exactly the best at containing the edge from what yeah. I remember this past season. And it, with that, you're going to kind of get those big type of running plays. I think uh, Derrick Henry will probably be a guy that plays extremely well, especially if the uh, uh, Titans address quarterback maybe in the draft. There's a little bit of rumors there. But what do you think from like a fantasy perspective would be the way to attack these Colts? Yeah, yeah. We, we both kind of are on the same page there. Uh, nothing really to add. Okay, so moving forward to a defense that just made a big signing. Uh, they retained Devon Hamilton in the interior, the Jacksonville Jaguars. You got Mike Caldwell's scheme. Tell me about it. Yeah, he's a, uh, he's a Todd Bowles disciple. Um, probably going to see a 3-4 base. Um, one of my favorite, uh, when talking about Mike Caldwell, um, pulled up his uh, like welcome to the team media interview from last season. The first thing he said is you have to affect the quarterback. And that is just, it, it just speaks volumes to kind of how he wants to run his defense. Um, clog the interior attack off the edge with speed that can come from the linebackers that has come from safety that has come from his athletic defensive ends. Um, and it's really designed to disrupt the quarterback. And he blitzed at a 23.1% rate in 2022, but even better than that, they had an elite 25.1% pressure rate. So again, that speed off the edge is kind of his calling card. He wants to dare opposing quarterbacks to pass against them because he knows that is how you create the most disruptions from a defense is getting to that quarterback if you're uh, forcing the opposition into a passing situation. Yeah, last year they addressed that linebacking position heavily i did not expect them to draft uh chad muma and devin lloyd sign uh fosse or olacon or from atlanta and then also draft trayvon walker is like the hybrid like when you look at just their depth chart trayvon walker clavon chasen josh allen like as you said speed getting after it those mm -hmm. are three guys that are extremely fast and trayvon walker i mean i was I felt like he shouldn't have been the number one pick last season. I felt like Aiden Hutchinson should have been. But Trayvon Walker, when moment shined, he kind of stepped up to the plate. Like, he would make plays. Like, I see what they kind of saw from the athleticism standpoint. From a front seven perspective, the Jaguars defense is very solid. I think interiorly, I'm not the biggest fan of who's there. But I think they played extremely well down the stretch. So, it makes mm -hmm. sense why they're running it back with them. But the back end of their defense is not something I'm very into from a coverage perspective. I don't think they're capable of holding it down. I think they need to address safety. I think if they can find their way to Brian Branch, it'll solidify a lot of the things they do defensively. I think they need to address another corner position because Tyson Campbell's a really good corner. I don't think he's a one. I don't see the guy that's going to be able to really lock up against some of the elite players that he's going to have to face throughout the playoffs. And obviously finding that type of guy is tough, but this defensive backs class is at least loaded. So if you see a Joey Porter fall, if you see Deontay Banks fall, like getting them or adding Brian Branch will be huge. What do you think about this Jaguars defense? Yeah, kind of echo a lot of what uh, you brought out there. The um, the youth and the speed that they have are really the two big things that stand out to me. Um, you mentioned a lot of those guys, Devin Lloyd and Trayvon Walker, being able to 
basically mix and match and kind of just it, it it looks to me like when they play together like they're playing high school ball like all the weird fronts and stuff that they're allowed to show it's just it's cool football to watch um i just yeah. like watching them play like that um but yeah the the back end is probably going to be an issue again we saw this team give up over 2400 air yards last season which was bottom 10 in the league um, right around the Ravens, the Dolphins. Um, and so this is a team that when they do tee up against a, an above-average offensive line, we're going to see that quarterback kind of have the time to pick that secondary apart. Um, so that is kind of the, the struggles that I could foresee with this defense and how to kind of attack that. You kind of need the goods up front uh, to be able to withstand that speed off the edge. Yeah, and I think from a run game perspective, I know we've seen Derrick Henry run for about 2,000 yards against them in the last like five games. <laughs> yeah. But I do believe that the linebacking group is another year older, and this linebacking group is extremely talented. Like, I, Chad Muma, Devin Lloyd, uh, Olakon, those three are phenomenal. I think they're a matchup nightmare for the Tennessee Titans. I think that this past season was just a – we're young, <laughs> like yeah. we're not ready for Derrick Henry yet. But I think that this season you'll see a lot of that kind of come out. It's really interesting how they built their defense and what they're kind of going for. Um, I see the image. It kind of reminds I me. Mean, Trent Baalke comes over from San Francisco and he was with Navarro Bowman, Patrick Willis and that style of defense where you build it in the middle at the linebacking position up front, front seven, and we'll figure out the back end. Uh, later and the days NFL, I don't necessarily 100% agree with the strategy, but I see what they're kind of getting at. And I think that if they go more, you know, too high and that Josh Allen and uh, Trayvon Walker start playing a game of let's get to the quarterback first, <laughs> like a racing to it, yeah, I think you'll see a lot more of a top end defense. But if they let and play man, I remember that Dallas Cowboys game, which they ended up winning. Um, I was heavily invested into the Cowboys and CeeDee Lamb that week in particular because I knew on the outside, if they match up CeeDee Lamb one-on-one with any of their corners, it's going to be a mismatch. And Dak will attack mismatches like that. Like So like you said, an elite offensive line or a good offensive line that takes away the pass rush will give them some problems. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we move on? No, no, that's good, man. Perfect. This is, uh, this is a defense that I'm – actually really excited to talk about because yeah. I love D'Amico Ryan's scheme here in Houston. They've got the number two pick. That's going to be a big swing into some of the things they do. I think they're going to be going Will Anderson. I don't know how you feel about it. I don't know if you think they're leaning quarterback, but I can't see D'Amico Ryan's passing up on probably the best defensive end edge linebacker style of Alabama player, especially with his relationship with Nick Saban in particular. What do you think the Texans are going to do in the draft? And then tell me about D'Amico Ryan's scheme. Yeah, I think they go Anderson. And I think we got a lot of glimpse why that is based on what they did this offseason in free agency. They basically sold the farm to bring in mid-level veteran defensive players. They brought in Jimmy Ward, Sheldon Rankins, Hassan Ridgeway, Denzel Perryman, Corey Littleton, Chase Winovitz. Like they, they showed their cards to me anyway of what they're expected to do with that second overall pick. And yeah, they have a pick like what eight, nine picks after that as well. So 12, uh, yeah, 12, 
Yeah, that's right. So yep. yeah, 10 picks later um, that they can see if one of these quarterbacks, um, one of the big four is, is sliding from this class and they can try and make a move up. So I think they take best player available with that second overall pick, which would 100% be Anderson and then try and address quarterback um, and see what happens. Take a wait and see approach. Um, I think they have that luxury. I think that's what I would do if I were in their shoes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that, that's, there's a lot of turnover when you like, when you look at what this defense was last season, you look at who they were like, whose tutelage they were under. Now they go to D'Amico Ryan's and they bring in all this veteran savvy and they have these picks to bring in, um, young athletic studs, um, upward trajectory for sure. Yeah. And I mean, they brought in some of the key signing or the key signing that I think is made was Jimmy Ward. Um, someone that knows the scheme was just in San Fran. And I know Jimmy Ward lost his role of what he was playing. And I believe he was on a podcast and Kyle Shannon just straight up told him, if you don't want to play nickel, you're just not going to play. And he's like, all right, well, I'm going to sign up and play nickel. <laughs> and then I felt like all right, now he goes and follows the defensive coordinator that put him in that position. That's a little strange, but I think it's because he's going to go return to playing quarters uh, of the field. Yeah. I think he's going to be their deep safety. Um, I do love the fit of what they have because this is the first time that uh, D'Amico Ryans is going to be able to coach a talent at corner like Derek Stingley. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm interested to see how he that changes his style of scheme because with Stingley, you can do a lot of things. You can isolate him on that side of the field, and I think he's going to be fine. He's not his own corner, and he got kind of put in that type of role, and it, he looked like he struggled. I feel like he's a guy that you want to man up with. You want him to be playing with freedom in terms of, hey, we're trusting you to just hold this guy at the line of scrimmage. Go up and press him. Like Get aggressive because that's kind of how I want to play. And I'm interested to see how they kind of rotate that. You're going to see a lot of too high from this team. Mm-hmm. Jalen Petrie and Jimmy Ward will be playing quarters. I think it'll be the cover two um, or like cover two man style things, cover four with Derek Stingley getting a little bit more man looks. But other than that, I'm not sure. This is going to be a great defense right away. I think it's going to be a building steps. But they did bring in at least two guys from San Fran and Hassan Ridway and Jimmy Ward. Anything else from a blitz rate perspective that is going to be changing from this past year with Lovey Smith to now D'Amico Ryans? Yeah, expect somewhere slightly below to slightly below league average and blitz rates. I mean, last season, D'Amico Ryans was at 21.6% um, with your, your standard like San Francisco above average um, pressure rate. Expect a 4-3 front, and you mentioned two high quarters probably see some trips coverages thrown in as well. And what is interesting about kind of who D'Amico Ryans is and the talent that they have on the backside is they can mix and match all these different coverages. um, And I think that they can do it effectively. So what I'm seeing from this defensive unit is it there, even with the, with Sheldon Rankins um, at defensive tackle with uh, Malik Collins, um, you know, an athletic guy clogging the middle there, their edges are rather weak. So the pressure is going to be probably below average until they start figuring out until D'Amico Ryan's works out kind of how he wants to um, shield his, his front against the run while also be able um, being able to simultaneously generate that organic pressure because D'Amico Ryan's is very much a guy who likes to generate that organic pressure in the backfield, which again helps the back end. So while their safeties, while their cornerbacks are um, above average to very, very good, 
Um, and while the scheme is going to be very tough for opposing quarterbacks to diagnose, if they're not getting that pressure up front, we could see um, some struggles out of this unit. Agreed with that. And also one thing that kind of always comes around for defensive coordinators that leave when they're at a very good position, like we saw with Salah when his first year in New York, where his scheme works when you have the talent. And in mm-hmm. San Fran, when he had the talent at his top, they went to the Super Bowl. Granted, they had DeForest Buckner, they had Bosa, they had Eric Armstead, Fred Warner. They had some of the best players at their respective positions. And he goes over New York Jets, didn't have that. And it took a year, but he was able to add in uh, Sauce Gardner. He was able to add in some of the um, other players that the FSU edge, I can't think of his name right now, but then he got to play his scheme and got to play it extremely effectively. I could see the same type of struggles from Domingo Ryans in year one where we're going to be able to attack it. I think from the run game perspective in particular is going to be the way just because of I don't think this offense is scoring. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm not sure the Shanahan disciple usually gets it done with Davis Mills. Like everybody says like, oh, Shanahan can get it done with any quarterback. So this guy yeah. is going to be able to get. That's not the case. I don't think that the Shanahan's are disciples are capable of doing quite that. They need usually need a good quarterback to kind of get good results. I don't know if Davis Mills is going to do it, but maybe if they find a quarterback with that second pick that they can get it done. But overall, I think the way to attack this game is through the run game. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I like that. Um, really, it could just could just be a case to start the season at least that it's really dealer's choice how you want to attack this defense until they really figure out the the pressure issues. We'll go with a little game theory there and play whoever anybody else is not playing. Yeah, play who you feedback. want. <laughs> <laughs> but moving forward to another scheme, another defense that I think is top in football in terms of the way they approach the game, the Tennessee mm-hmm. Titans with Mike Vrabel slash Shane Bowen. Tell me about uh, Mike Vrabel's scheme and what they do defensively. Yeah, based on your comment earlier in the in the session, I figured you'd probably like this defense a good bit because they are very much clog the middle of the field and force you to attack the perimeter. Um, they are very good at generating organic pressure. Um, Mike Vrabel obviously is a, an in-the-trenches type of guy. Um, so it, his the way that this defense is run is purely a reflection, I think, of who Vrabel is and what he embodies as both an NFL player and um, a coach. And that is do the right things or do what you're expected and try and do it well. And basically he's instilled that kind of mentality in his defense in that the, the game plan is very clear for his players and it's about execution from them. Um, so, you know, they don't blitz that much at all. 18.1% last season with Shane Bowen. Um, but on the other end of that coin, they managed a 21 uh, respectable ish, 21.2 pressure rate. So, Uh, Another thing that you want to see is that pressure rate again being more uh, than your blitz rate. But yeah, this team, three, four base, unique blitzes when they do blitz, they throw some interesting things at you. They want to clog the middle of the field. They want to make you attack the perimeter um, because as you said, that's where um, that and the direct middle of the field is kind of where the big mistakes happen in today's game. Yeah, and I mean, from the front seven perspective, Jeffrey Simmons should be celebrated across the NFL. He is one of the best players on the defensive side of the ball. I think he is in the respective tier below uh, Aaron Donald. I think he is 
a game wrecker, uh, game changer. And some of the stuff that he's able to do when the biggest like moments come is unbelievable. And the one thing that I think people should just go and watch with Mike Vrabel, watch him play the Chiefs. Watch the last two times that they've played them. First game that they played him two years ago, there were a lot of quarters, a lot of too high, a lot of, hey, we know you are not running the football. We're not, you can run it. You can run it whenever you want. We're going to trust that uh, Jeffrey Simmons and company are going to be able to get the job done, but we are not letting you throw it down the field. And I think that was the game where Andy Reid said, people are playing us like nobody else has ever played us. And it, it, yeah. it was just Rabel just disguising a lot of different looks and throwing things at Patrick Mahomes he had never seen. This past year, Rabel says, you don't have Tyree Kill anymore. I don't believe you have the receivers to win. We are going to play cover one. We are going to man up. We are going to press your wide receivers. And you are not going to be able to throw it down the field anymore because we don't believe that your receivers can win. Patrick Mahomes is fantastic. We're never going to blitz. We're going to rush four when doing so. We are going to make Travis Kelsey's life as difficult as possible where linebackers hitting them off the line. They're going to do things that are so unique to just trying to stop Travis Kelsey. It's not going to work, but it's going to slow him down at the best rate. So Vrabel to me, how adaptive he is and how self-aware he is of who he's playing. A lot of guys Mm -hmm. try to take their scheme and throw it at no matter the opponent. Rabel said, okay, this week we're playing the Chiefs. They don't have receivers. We're going there. We're just going to we're gonna hope that our guys can man up and play. Um, I think in that game, he kept it close, and his quarterback threw for like 40 yards. I feel like it was some, one of those where Derrick Henry was just out there, 226 rushing yards against the Chiefs just because he's Derrick Henry, and they were able to fight and claw for that type of win. So Rabel, to me, the way he mixes up coverages, I think he's the most – fun defensive coordinator to predict for my end because I always have to look not necessarily what he has what he is playing and that allows Mm -hmm. me to find uniqueness in DFS um I think from a one week that I got it extremely wrong and it was just very frustrating because I think it was Josh McDaniels was the Matt Collins week I loved Derek Carr that week I loved I loved Darren Waller and I loved Devontae Adams and I was like this is going to be my double stack this is what we're doing and the funny thing is, is that particular week, I also double stacked two with Tyreek Hill and Waddle against the Ravens. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, I put misallocated my money and put Tua into the smaller entries. And mm. I put, yeah, no, not not a good week. But <laughs> how do you feel like you should be attacking uh, this Titans defense or how do you kind of approach it from like a DFS perspective? Yeah, you brought up some interesting points there. And I think to answer that question, kind of look at what this team has. And the front seven is the real strength of this team. And you kind of hit the nail on the head with what Shane Bowen and Mike Vrabel are able to do on the back end. They're kind of able to mask the deficiencies of their secondary by unique coverages, by varying looks, by game planning specific to opponents. Uh, because they really haven't had the back-end talent that they've had up front uh, with that front seven. I mean, you look at their front seven. Uh, Denico Autry, uh, Tyre Tart, Jeffrey Simmons, Harold Landry, Monty Rice is probably the weakest link, but even he, you know, 2021 third-round pick. They just got Aziz Alshair and Arden Key. So they've got some big names and some talent on that front seven, and they utilize that, again, to mask a little bit of their deficiencies on the back-end. 
Um, this year they did bring in Sean Murphy bunting um, to, I would think is going to play that kind of floating nickel role uh, when they do, you know, when they are um, looking to clog the middle of the field against particular opponents. So he's probably going to be a role player, um, but he's got a very specific skill set that fits kind of a, a deficiency that they have. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you can beat the, well, I guess, not you can beat, but the Titans are susceptible to deep passing when they get those coverage schemes wrong. They're susceptible to uh, quick shifty wide receivers over the middle of the field behind that linebacker unit in front of the safeties. So you talk about like a two thirds field Um, wide receivers that are able to work that two thirds field uh, against the Titans will give them issues as well. Makes a lot of sense. The one thing that I will say that will help with that um, from the pass rushing perspective, Harold Landry um, getting healthy again, coming off that ACL tear. He had 12 sacks in 2021, misses the entire season because he tore his ACL. Adding him to this defense will help them tremendously. They did lose Bud Dupree, but he wasn't really working out for them uh, anyways. And then they replaced David Long with Aziz Al-Shahir, which is just a perfect like switch. And I was surprised for how cheap he was able to – they were able yeah. to acquire him. Because I thought he was going to be a guy that signs for a decent contract with the Texans to follow D'Amico Ryans, but somehow he ends up in the same division for just $5 million. But overall, I do think this is going to be a fun year for the Titans to kind of scheme up, especially with what they do with their first round pick. It's been a lot of rumblings about going up and getting a quarterback. Do you imagine how annoying it would be to play a Titans team that had Anthony Richardson and Derrick Henry? That would be the biggest quarterback running back. Weight (laughs) athleticism, like I'd be terrified. (laughs) Yeah, because you imagine if they just like lined up in shotgun and then like Anthony Richardson just like scooted over and Derrick Henry became the quarterback and then he was running the read option. (laughs) Like even even under center, getting Derrick Henry like six steps, like and having Anthony Richardson being able to (laughs) hit a sweep or get on the edge, like that'd be awesome. Oh, yeah. QB bootleg. Are you kidding me? Your yeah. defensive end can't collapse on that side just because if he collapses and Anthony Richardson keeps it, he's he's wheeling, he's gone. It's just it's yeah. going to be some scary stuff there. But I am looking forward to the draft. I'm looking forward to hopefully you getting your JSN Panthers <laughs> getting Bryce Young. Please. I just don't want Will Levis. But is there anything else you'd like to add about this division before we close up the show? No, man. This uh, this whole series has been a blast. Um, yep. Looking forward to once we start talking to the good stuff, talking to the DFS stuff here uh, shortly. Yeah, next week we'll be highlighting some of the defenses, uh, some of the players that were drafted in this defense, what we think maybe if it's going to change some schemes up, some things will be happening in this draft. There's a lot of really talented corners. There's a lot of really talented edges. This is going to be one of the most unpredictable drafts. I know that we always mock draft and we always try to get it right and then things go awry. But as I was saying earlier, pre-show is I think these GMs are willing to trade and they're going to be making plenty of deals, whether it's good or bad. I think we see some of the popular veterans that we've always known, like DeAndre Hopkins get moved in this during this draft. Dalvin Cook probably later, um, day two, day three type of stuff. So I'm excited for it. I'm excited to see all the way this shakes out. And uh, that's about it. Happy, happy draft day to everybody that tuned in. That is all we got for the Cover 5 podcast presented by the 33rd team.